Today's message is more of a teaching, I would think. I'm going to appeal to your logic for a moment. And I really, really would ask you to be open-minded. Because when you compare the book of Acts and the Old Testament to what current Christianity is worldwide, there's such a disconnect that it has to, it begs a question. What's going on? What exactly is the correct posture of Christianity in the world? What is its significance? What's its purpose? When you see the Old Testament, it was common for miracles to take place, for God to intervene. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew culture was shocked when God did not intervene. Their life was totally around the tabernacle. It was a religious life, if I could use that term. God was at the center of everything. Even when they were in error, they just chose the wrong God. But they worshiping and having a creator mindset was their culture. It absolutely was. Fast forward to the New Testament, and the exact same thing was taking place. It was common for them to testify of what Jesus had done for them. They understood that they were new creatures. They were living in apostolic power and the power of the Holy Spirit. It was common for entire communities to see miracles and then convert to Christianity because of the attestation of the miracle by, of God. Jesus himself appealed in John 5 and in John 10. He repeatedly said, if you don't believe me, believe the miracles. When John the Baptist questioned him and said, are you the one? He right away began listing miracles as the evidence that he was the one. Back to the Old Testament, there are certain scriptures that remind us to be aware of certain things. One of the Psalms says that don't, you know, forget God. Don't forget his benefits and his miracles. His mercy endures forever, the Bible says. Let's go to that one. And maybe we can get the groundwork to try to figure out something is not kosher in Christianity today. Because to just be another religion, another way of belief, and then how do you get someone else to believe your way? By either convincing them or, but they might convince you if that's the only criteria. Or is it what the Bible says? that God would confirm by signs and wonders. So much so that he says, we are supposed to be a sign in a wonder in Isaiah 8. Can you imagine that your life is to be such a testimony displaying the power of God that the people would consider you and your community to be a sign and a wonder? The Bible says in Mark 16 that he will confirm the word with signs and wonders. Then in John 14, a startling scripture. I mean, one time I was in a church, and the guy who was there to exhort and lay the groundwork before I preached took that scripture and so watered it down that I said, what in heaven's name do I do? Here's the scripture, that you will do greater works than Jesus Christ. And whatever you ask in his name, he will do. And that's the scripture I was going to preach on, and he didn't know it, and he exhorted on how it didn't mean that. And I go, what in heaven's name do I do now? This is unbelievable that Christians can be a new creature and frankly not know the meaning of it and not expect something. 
Christian faith expects what no reasonable man would ever expect. Did you hear what I just said? A reasonable logic will keep you held down, but faith that expects God to move in the supernatural realm, sun stands still, rivers and oceans open. Where's that God? Where's the God that could repeatedly raise the dead? Where's the God that nothing was impossible? What has happened? Really, consider, the Bible says, not to forget that he's God and to forget his benefits. What are the benefits? Well, what would you consider to be a benefit? You go to get a good job, you want good benefits. You want good things to happen to you. Good health insurance, good pay, 401k, retirement, car, health, the whole nine yards, good things. And the Bible says, don't forget the benefits. Hebrews says that God confirmed that he was Jesus Christ by miracles, signs, and wonders. So, and then, what's changed? What, why have we just accepted a Christianity? That's, what is it, a club? When Mark says, Mark 16 says, that whosoever believes, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. In other words, every Christian is supposed to be a miracle worker. Every single one. But not if they won't even try. Psalm 136. To him who doeth, listen to this, great wonders for his mercy endures forever. For him who doeth, it's in the present tense. The scripture is in the present tense. For him who does right now, incredible wonders. Why? Because his mercy, get this, endures forever. So it's not a question of how good you are. It's a question of will you at least give him a grain of mustard seed and stop getting slapped in the face and a kick in the butt every single day of my life. Somebody's got to stand up and say, you know what, wait one minute, I'm the one with the authority here. I'm the one that has the name of Jesus here. I'm the one who's a child of God. Like heck, I'm getting fired. In fact, I'm going to be the head of the department. But no, that's, that's different thinking that we've been indoctrinated with. Just go to church, go home, and live life. What in heaven's name is that? No, no. There's something much more. There's a higher power and higher authority. Make it like this. Let me use a simple illustration. Even as a child, there's a book on the table. You don't think about it. Can I pick this up? Is it within my ability? You go and you pick up the book. Now, the moment you pick up that book, you're fighting against something. It's called gravity. There's a power that's been here since day one, gravity. But you have physical power that's greater than that. You don't even consider it. It doesn't become a trial and an error. It doesn't become, you know, something difficult. You go, you pick up the book, that's it. Why? Because in you, there's a physical power that's greater for that moment than the power of gravity applying to that book. That's what happens in the spirit, only Christians don't know. A disease comes or a flu comes, and they think here comes a disease. They shake in their books, in their boots, and they don't know what to do. What to do? There's a power in you greater than that disease. There's something infinitely more powerful. It's natural to you. Just rebuke it in the name of Jesus and use your power. But this is almost foreign thinking to Christians. It's really, we have forgotten his benefits, who forgives all of our inequities and heals all of our diseases, that scripture says. 
where we just accept whatever comes down the pike, not understanding why he ended his discourse on earth by saying, all power and authority has been given unto me. Go ye therefore and tell everybody, go preach the gospel. He assumed that we would understand he was sending us in his authority, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit, that whosoever believes can rebuke and bind in heaven and on earth, loose in heaven and on earth. Why the Bible even says in the Old Testament, command ye me concerning the work of my hands. This is a Christianity that's supposed to have authority to distinguish it from every other bogus religion on earth. But the only way we are going to do that according to God and experience is it's the God that answers by fire. It's the God that demonstrates that he's alive. It's the God that comes in the presence where two or three are gathered. But this Christianity, going to sleep and doing nothing, is absurd. It's absolutely absurd. It is not Christianity. It's not hit or miss. It's not luck if God answers your prayer. It's a faith like the woman with the issue of blood. What did he say to her? Power has emanated from me. How? Because this woman had faith. She believed. When you read the Old Testament, cover to cover, Genesis to Malachi, you have to be astounded at the amount of supernatural intervention. Incredible miracles left and right. And the curse when they misbehaved was that God said, now I will not use my power for you. I'm going to leave you to yourself. And they were foreboding. They, they were unbelievably shocked that God would not be intervening on a daily basis. Why do you suppose God had them live from spiritual food that came every day, manna from heaven? Why do you think God had water come out of a rock to give nourishment to millions of people? Why did he say, if you look at the brazen serpent, you'll be healed from diseases? Why does the Bible says there was not one feeble one among them when they left Egypt? Why is it miracle after miracle after miracle? Why is it that half of the book of Mark, half of the book is devoted to miracles? Why does the Bible say that he did not neglect healing one person? Not one did not get healed. Why is this gospel constantly referring to supernatural? Why is it that Paul and the apostles, not Jesus, Paul and the apostles and then other devout men and women did miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle? Why is it that shadows, not from Jesus, from Peter, and other men healed individuals, their mere shadow. Why is it that the gospel overturned this earth without iPhones or Samsung phones or technology or steam engines or planes? How is it that news traveled continent to continent? How is it that entire communities would be transformed instantly? How is it that the martyrs and the flames as torches of Rome would not deny Christ because those fires didn't touch one of them the same way it didn't touch Daniel in the lion's den. Misha Shadrach and Abednego, I should say, in the lion and the fire. How is it that this entire Bible is devoted to depict Christianity as something that is full on display 
of the power of God. How is it that the name Jesus, his very name, means to save? And Christ means the anointed one of God. Christian is simply another word for Christ. Johnny, Bill, Susie, Carol, the anointed of God. Same way, same baptism of the Holy Spirit on the Christian that Jesus received. How is it, tell me, logically, that we can see the Son of God suffer for us, redeem us, die and resurrect, have Easter Sunday, born in a miracle, the miracle of all miracles, the resurrection. How is it that he can suffer like that, go through that passion, and the effect is small things? Really? The Bible is not a book about small things. The Bible is a book about supernatural God displaying himself on behalf of his people. The Bible is a Christ who wants to come in and intervene and be intimate with you. You're not subject to the winds of change, the economy, political parties, or a boss. You think you may be. And as the man thinks, so is he. You keep thinking negative and small, you will be negative and small. When you decide to say, you know what? I am going to give Christ a shot, a chance, the way he wants to be given a shot and a chance. I am going to believe for the supernatural and the miraculous. I am going to believe for greater things. Why can't I believe for the health of my child, even though the doctor says asthma forever? Why don't you stand in that hospital room and say, I rebuke you, asthma, in the name of Jesus. Why don't you take authority? I'll tell you why. Because there's this malady that Christians suffer. It's a quality, and at the same time, a very, very, I mean sad weakness is the best way to put it. Humans adapt. They accept it and conform to it, mold themselves to the situation, and then adapt and accept it. But there are those great men and women that accept nothing. They're going to make the situation mold and adapt. They're going to, in the name of Jesus, arise and be a sign and a wonder and say None, no more of this nonsense. I am a child of God. That disease is not coming in my house. If that's generational, I rebuke that generational curse in the name of Jesus. The curse of poverty, no, I don't accept it. I believe in the one that made me, and I believe in his Bible, and I believe it's true and I'm going to apply it to my life. Stop conforming, accepting your lot in life. That's just a springboard to the next miracle. That's God telling you, just trust me, believe in me. Better times are coming. Good things are coming. And he will authenticate himself to you according to him by miracles, signs, and wonders. God is not shy. God's not quiet. God wants to appear. And when he tells you greater works you will do if you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he means it. He absolutely means it. Think again. John the Baptist, in prison, tremendous pressure. He knows what's coming. He's not getting out. And he's perplexed. Oh, if I'm the forerunner, what the heck am I doing in prison? So he goes to Jesus. He sends somebody. Man, tell me, are you the guy? And Jesus sends a word back. Tell them, the blind see, 
the deaf hear, the dead are resurrected. Yeah, I'm kind of the one. His answer to comfort him was, I'm the one. Miracles, he pointed to the miracles repeatedly. He referred them to miracles. Yeah, I'm the one. The apostles, not yet, are fishing all night. Barrenness, failure, something a lot of Christians need to hear. They began in failure. Doesn't mean you're going to stay there. He raises the princes out of the dunghill. But my God, have a little faith. Today where I am has nothing to do with where I'm going to be tomorrow because I'm serving this guy. Now, if I'm supposed to be a sign and a wonder, let me repeat that. If he says I'm supposed to be a sign and a wonder, I don't know what sign and a wonder you're going to be laying in a hospital bed, on your back, flat broke, divorced, no kids, everything sickly, everything poverty, everything miserable, and someone's going to believe you're a sign and a wonder? Don't be ridiculous. Don't be silly. You're supposed to be up here. You're supposed to be the head, not the tail. Stop settling for wagging your tail. Be the head. So, the apostles are fishing all night. They fail. Jesus lands on the shore. You know the story. Put your nets out. They don't believe. They put one net out. He said, I said, put your nets, plural out. They put one net out. The net gets full. It breaks. And they come back to the land. It is then that they follow him. Why did they follow him? When they saw the miracles. He was able to recruit his followers because he saw miracles. Some of you watching here may have difficulty, you think, in building your churches or your cell group. Start doing a couple of miracles and watch what happens. He authenticates himself. It's the God that answers by fire. He's God. So this business of accepting the Christianity and you just take it on the chin. Man, rethink this and read your Bible. Rethink this and read the Gospels. Read the book of Acts. See over and over again, a miracle here, a miracle there, by numerous people. See when he says, I give you the authority. I give you the power to loose and bind in heaven and on earth. I give you my name in the name of Jesus. Do it! And watch, Naaman is a leper. This poor guy is a leper. In that day, leprosy was vile, violent, I mean degrading, just a death sentence, slowly. And he's given instructions. And the guy's so arrogant that he won't do it. Man, sometimes to get a miracle, try being humble. Try doing what you're told. So he finally, a little girl lectures him, and he goes and dips and gets healed. Why is that story in the Bible? Why are all of these miracles in the Bible? To tease us? To make us think we're lesser and we could never amount to that? Meanwhile, David's a murderer. Abraham sells his wife twice. Moses is a murderer. What are you talking about? What gospel have you believed? Paul says people have been bewitched. They've been tricked. They've been deceived supernaturally by the enemy. And not understanding the power of the gospel. There's a woman that's ready to die. She has no food. She's famished. Everything is going wrong. And the prophet says, what do you got? She goes, I just got a little jar, a cup of oil. He goes, that's enough. That's absolutely enough. A little jar of oil. It begins to multiply, multiply, multiply. Do you have a little jar of oil in you? You're the repository of the Holy Ghost. You're full of oil. It's supposed to multiply. 
It's supposed to give you prosperity and wholeness. Don't forget his benefits. There's a guy. Hmm. He's got a withered hand. But God says, why don't you expose your withered hand? Show it. Are there people in this room who are listening that maybe you have a withered hand? Maybe there's something withered in your walk with God. Maybe it's time that you expose it to yourself and to God and say, you know what? I've been lacking in faith. I've been lacking in knowledge. I don't understand this and my people perish for that very reason because they don't know what pertains to them. They have no idea of who they are, what they are. You ask Christians, and I do all the time, give me the definition of a new creature. They don't even know. I say, define the new creature. And they mumble and jumble. What is a new creature in Christ Jesus? What is that? Briefly, we were supernatural beings in the garden. Our glory was our covering of Shekinah light, same as God's. If you could believe that, if you could arise to that. And when we sinned and lied and cheated, we lost the glory and we became naked, spiritually and physically. But it was worse, spiritually. We lost the glory. We lost the presence, the awareness. We became human. That means man hewn down like a tree. We became much lesser. And we lived like that. And you see the Old Testament, God on behalf of his people, as I said, Miracle after miracle, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miracles. But he did it for them. And occasionally you would see the Holy Spirit on a man like a Samson or a prophet. And then they would do prodigious miracles. I have to interrupt this because there's someone in this room, or watching, but I, I'm getting the sense in this room. Your time of unbelief is up. Your time of questioning is done. I will tell you as a friend, your unbelief has been a form of rebellion. You never recognize it as such, but it is that. It's the fact that you won't even pause long enough in your life to take stock of your own thinking. You've never realized that the weapons of God are mighty till the pulling down of strongholds. That stronghold belief begins in yourself sir or ma'am that stronghold is something you have to deal with you have to pause enough and realize that the only way to please god is by faith stop questioning stop doubting and throw yourself into the arms of jesus risk something but stop the doubting stop the silly question it's vain it's time to make a decision there's a lot at stake here for yourself your loved ones, your future, and even for multitudes, that God will empower you and use you to save and heal quite a bit of people. So right now, this moment, stop. Take stock and pay attention. And love yourself, and then you'll be able to love others. Amen. Amen. Back to the message. You see the Old Testament, as I said, full of miracles, but something very unique begins in the New Testament. Never before in the Old Testament is the word dunamis used. It's a word for power. It's just 
exemplifies and symbolizes enormous authority, enormous, enormous power, that we get our word dynamite from that word. It is 100, used 120 times only in the New Testament, because that is where now the Holy Spirit would come upon everyone who's a new creature. No more just Samson's or Isaiah's or Deborah's. No more just special David and special Moses. No, no, no. Now everyone is supposed to be, as I said, a sign and a wonder. How can you know that scripture? How can you know that God wants you to be a sign and a wonder and settle? Why don't you wrestle with God like Jacob? Take five minutes out and say, wait a minute, go for a walk, forget the phone. And say, now you said I'm supposed to be a sign and a wonder. The last thing I feel like what I am is a sign and a wonder. Maybe negatively, but the power, the affirmation. Why don't you show the world, this was the prayer from the prophet. Why don't you show the world that you're God? But the prophet didn't end there. He also said, very same scripture. And by the way, show them I'm your man, that you sent me. Make me a sign and a wonder. I want to be a sign and a wonder. Prosper me to that degree. Give me an appetite to not settle for a cold French fry. I want Thanksgiving dinner in the Holy Ghost. I want the whole enchilada. I want everything. And when you hunger and thirst for God the way you're supposed to, commensurately that he is God, well, I don't think he's going to leave you ashamed. The fact is, is that we love God and we want God according to our scale. But this is God. Did you ever see the way of a man with a woman? We have lots of problems in some of our churches because we have so many young people that the minute they see a girl, they're in love. It just happens. They could be 14 years old. They're in love. And we have to counsel them well. And they go crazy. They're absolutely nuts. I mean, they go nuts. Their sense of logic and good thinking and holy thought is gone. They're ruled by this emotion that they're in love. That's the way of a young man or a young woman with another. But when it comes to God, we're stoic, clinical. Where's that emotion? Be crazier with God than with anything else. Passionately hunger after him. The hunger and thirsting will be filled, the Bible says. So today forward, look for a miracle. Expect what your reason would never expect. Throw logic in the garbage and begin to think in the supernatural realm of being a new creature. A new creature, full of the Holy Spirit, full of dunamis, in the image of God. No longer cursed from the garden, but restored to a greater level. A supernatural being, covered in the Shekinah of God baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now start living that way. Demand, wrestle with God. Show me so I can show them. Make me a wonder. Make me a testimony. And I give him my word, Jesus, that from here on in, wherever I go, whoever I meet, I will tell them how you raised me up and made me a sign and a wonder for Jesus Christ.